Welcome to the Aversion Podcast. I'm your host, Zainab Yate, and I'm the author of When Breastfeeding Sucks, What You Need to Know About Nursing Aversion and Agitation. Hello and uh, welcome back. In this episode, I share a conversation I have with the wonderful Jenny Stiller, where we consider some aspects of sensory sensitivities when breastfeeding and basically cover something that's not really well discussed, which is those who are neurodivergent. And so Jenny Stiller, she shares with us her clinical expertise and experience in supporting mums who have different challenges when breastfeeding and I share some of my thoughts and ideas about how this ties into aversion. So if you um, think that you might be on the autism spectrum or neurodivergent, this might be an interesting episode for you. everybody and we're just gonna go live with Jenny from the lactation spectrum so I'm hoping hi Jenny if you have just joined you should request to join hello Carly hello hey are we all live? Are we all set? Yes, I'm here. Oh, well, I started my phone just to be uh, sure that everything would go um, smoothly. But it seems like there was no need. <laughs> well, so, everyone, um, this is Jenny. Shall I introduce you? Yes, that would be great. Thank you. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, Jenny is board certified as a paediatric nurse practitioner and as an international lactation consultant, so that's an IBCLC. Uh, she has been in lactation support since 2000, so plenty of years of experience, <laughs> with experience in hospital settings, volunteer mother-to-mother support groups, and you have your own private practice. That's right. Uh, so your area of speciality, your area of specialties is in neurodiverse lactation support. Is that right? Yeah. As well as education. So, um, and I do want to do the last but not least bit because it, yeah, she's a military spouse, which I find fascinating and um, super interesting. And you in, reinvent your lactation business almost every three years when you have to either move state or country. Yes. So that is um i mean it's admirable because you maintain the support and work but you have to upheave your whole life and just so um we wanted to talk today a bit about i guess raising awareness about how your neurodiversity might affect your lactation experience essentially Yeah. yeah Um, We did have some um, questions. I think some people can't join because of the timing. So shall I shoot straight into them or should we just... I think people don't often know... So the difficulty is with, in our area, with 
supporting mothers and women uh, essentially I, there's actually a lot of uh, both misdiagnosis and um, not proper diagnosis so that's yeah that's really where the starting point is um, at least for me when mums haven't sort of put two and two together so they're either they really don't know um, but they've had trouble since childhood mm-hmm. um, yeah, and they they struggle with things other people don't that's, and then when they push to get properly assessed um, being on the autism spectrum is often not understood unless you go to a specialist yeah right uh, right I mean if we when we're looking at research I mean you and I both have right we're looking at it and what we see is most of it is looking at children yeah we see um, but we're seeing a lot more come out looking at women and that it looks different they're expressing their autism differently and yeah or that all those that sort of know are managing and hiding it from early early right. adolescent prior yes masking um, it yeah masking. yeah um so when they get to the stage of becoming uh, pregnant mm-hmm. uh, there's a bit of literature but not much about uh, autism and pregnancy and that experience but it's fair to say that the literature points towards a conclusion that suggests it will affect you and you might find additional challenges based on yeah being on the autism spectrum right right and i think that's one reassuring right to hear that to when women are experiencing that sensory overload with pregnancy all the changes of it that there's nothing wrong with you this is you know this is your life and it feels different it looks different um, but I think the other side of that is that providers aren't necessarily um, aware that that exists mm. right? and because there's not much out there then it's sort of seen as um, like I love how you put it uh, the invisible load so it really sort of is invisible because there's no there's no recognition of it there's really no sort of assessment of how it affects you um you might be struggling silently thinking basically you're just a weirdo right because you can't <laughs> what's happening or um nobody else seems to be um like for example with aversion a lot of times the mums don't seem to be able to verbalize that these particular things are triggering them um with the aversion where everyone else is sort of like well you know my my nipples are super painful and I'm getting aversion because of that or I'm, I'm tandem feeding. No, it's much more nuanced uh, yeah. with those with aversion. It's sort of very specific um, sensory sensitivities, very specific. Um, does this sort of have a, the brain shuts down a little bit when they have, yeah, when they, when they get triggered. And yeah. that I think it's really confusing and difficult. Right, I, I, especially right. We're talking about lactation, but right after birth, that sensory overload of the birth experience, and if a shutdown happens after birth, you're everyone's expecting this persona from you to be connecting with your baby, to be oh, doesn't this feel amazing? All the feelings, and when someone's 
just overwhelmed and shut down. It's disconnecting. But a lot of times, like you said, right, they're still masking. They're putting on that persona. Um, they feel a lot of pressure yeah. to do that. Yeah. It's really isolating in a way. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's why. I mean, Jenny reached out to me, and I I immediately knew we had to do something to raise awareness of this because. Yeah. Yeah, you see it. Um, I see it in a different setting, but it, it has some of the similar flags that come up. Um, I don't work in clinical practice with lactation support, so you do, and you can see particular trends and um, things happening. And I just think it's really important to talk about it so that mums they might be able to recognise something that's happening with them. Um, and difficulties in their journey. So, if if you were just to be talking to someone who had no idea, like, um, what what are one or two of the things you might suggest for someone to, I guess, be able to cope with it? I would say the first thing is to identify your own triggers. If you already know that. Uh, I'll use wetness because I see that a lot, but um, that, that washing your hands or taking a shower is a trigger for you and breastfeeding feels really hard because you are experiencing a lot of wetness that you can't control, right? And with a shower or washing your hands, you can turn that off, but you can't turn off the leaking breasts. So I, but what I do suggest is just identifying the triggers and then see how you can minimize the other things around you that might feel stressful, like noise, temperature, yeah. lighting. If you can start to have control over those things and minimize those, it can leave a space for processing those really difficult sensory things like breast wetness, um, touch. I mean, that's a big thing, right? Feeling touched out the sensory of you touch. Can't get away. You can't get away from touch because breastfeeding will necessarily entail skin on skin, not baby touching you. Um, yeah. So basically how, how it's understood is that those on the autism spectrum will be processing things differently. So you may think that, you know, your, your baby touching you is sort of cute and it's really nice and even the weight is, you know, it's non-remarkable. Mm -hmm. You don't even think about the weight or, or a breast pad being on there and the sensation of the wetness of the milk. That Those kind of things may, in a way, do nothing to you and it's not the case uh, for some mums. Yeah. yeah. So that... It's so because people don't... I guess they don't know it's a thing, a lot of people. Um, and they don't know that maybe moms are struggling with things that can seem quite insignificant to them. That's, yeah. Yeah. I and that's why we're here. Exactly. Uh, um, not just awareness. I mean, I think a lot of people um, think of autism as something in childhood only. They don't think about the fact that this is lifelong. So those kids with autism have grown up or those autistic children and now there are autistic adults um, birthing and breastfeeding and parenting and how can we support them and we can really 
learn a lot from things that we do to support children, like those things, minimizing the outside sensory triggers and um, just being open to, hey, it's really bright in here. Would it help if I just turn down the lights a little bit in this clinic setting? Or just asking some on the forms. Right now, a lot of history forms. If there's some lactation consultants listening, give me a shout out. Give a a hello out there. How many of you are asking about autism or neurodiversity in your intake forms right now? Leave us a comment. Yeah, in your assessments. Um, I'd like to see how many people are doing that now. And I think just that simple act of asking. We ask about high blood pressure and right, none of us are, well, maybe some of us out there are cardiologists listening, but most of us. are probably not, but we ask because we know hypertension can impact pregnancy. We know it can impact lactation. And and the same way that happens, we know autism and sensory sensitivities can impact the lactation experience. So, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a real need to look look into it more. Yeah. To somehow quantify it, but like, we also know that things are individual, people experience things, um, at least intent, int- sensitivities and intensity of them in a varied way. Um, but there are certainly things you can do. So, you know, some mums find find it difficult or find they, they, they feel guilty when they try and reduce, the particular mum I'm thinking about is reducing the um, audio, the audibleness of her nursing, which was really over yeah. over uh, sensitizing her, so she would have to sort of numb it out by by having these huge headphones on and doing a specific routine in order to be able to basically get through a breastfeeding session without the sensory overload. Because once that hit, then it was sort of a drama, you know, delatching, crying, uh, everyone's crying. Yes. Um, she felt she felt bad really bad because it's it's not seen as normal in a way to be able to to cope with a breastfeeding session by in some ways blocking out those noises um minimizing the movement things like that and so it's just almost giving that empowerment to say it's do it you can do it do what you need to do to yeah oh uh so oh Niatina, have I said it right, Niatina? Sorry if I haven't. Um, I find it easier to mention neuro concerns rather than autism, even though I know it's so important. Okay, it's just interesting you say that because um, for, from my less experienced support, um, I I would have found that mums didn't really know what neuro neuro concerns were that's I think why when I bring it up I try and put it in layman's uh, terms but I don't yeah I guess I don't say autism I don't know how do you frame it with clients who don't know like they've never yeah. considered or not diagnosed right I think there's right and I mean that that's a another point that you brought up there most women are not diagnosed they suspect mm-hmm. They've been told they're highly sensitive. They've been told they're anxious or they're overly sensitive. So um, 
I do ask about sensory sensitivities. I ask people about, do you have any sensitivities to food? I, it's not weird. We ask about that, like, oh, you're yeah. sensitive to dairy. How do we make this work for you? And the same thing, right? Oh, you're sensitive to bright lighting. And you're sitting in, you know, all the clinical assessments when you go into the hospital, everything's bright lighting and you feel even more anxious and you can't let down. And, or, or maybe in there. Where, yeah. Right. We know that being anxious can inhibit the letdown because it's um, yeah. because those sort of stress hormones will inhibit the letdown in terms of oxytocin so and I, how that interrupts. Yeah, I try to talk about it in specifically sensory sensitivities, um, and then um, getting into that can dive a little deeper depending on what the what the response is. So I see her here. Yeah. Someone responded. Okay, absolutely. I think it just shows a reluctance to talk about it. Exactly. Um, Tina, are you? Do you identify as autistic? And you're um, when are, and you're just when you share, you share about some neurosensitivities, or are you saying you ask about neuro specific things? I'll wait for your response. Find, on that. Yeah, I do find people who. Um, are aware that they're neurodiverse themselves are sort of more sympathetic mm -hmm. and obviously more well read about it. Um, and I do know a couple of um, lactation consultants who who identify that way of one who's being diagnosed. And so they see it, they can already see it in some um, presenting clients. Yeah. Um, but many, many of the times those presenting clients won't know themselves and won't have put the two together. Mm -hmm. um, but we did get, because I think it's an odd time, some of the mums haven't joined, but I did get a couple of questions that, is it okay if I yeah. ask you? Um, so Becky says, like, I've not been diagnosed with autism, how will I know if I have it? Um, I find the sensation of milk leaving my nipple and the feelings of the drops and the saliva really uncomfortable. So that's common, I mean that's not uncommon right. to have that. Yeah, that right. reaction yeah, to I, some of the symptoms. Exactly. Um, so I would say, right, whether you're diagnosed or not, your personal experience, she's having, you know, this is a, a yeah. big, this is a trigger for her with the, the wetness and we cannot, you can't eliminate that while breastfeeding, there will be some wetness, but we can we can talk about trying to minimize those, like we had talked about earlier, what other sensory things could we, you know, minimize so that there's a space for her to process those things instead of putting all the energy into processing all the different sounds and movement and textures of all the stuff, how can we create a sensory safe space maybe for her to breastfeed in and then she can just, all she has to process is the wetness what's going on what's her main trigger yeah yeah sort of like a tailored management in a sense mm -hmm. based on responsive um dialogue picking up on bits of information that the mum's saying herself yeah so yeah if you wanted to try try that i mean there is no harm in sort of pushing your, in the UK you have general practitioners, so pushing your general practitioner to be referring you to a specialist who can um, look and assess you properly uh, for neurodiversity, so being on the autism spectrum. And um, 
you know, the more people do it, the more likely um, this will be recognised in women as it should be. And then, like we said before, we're calling for, you know, we want to have more research publications in this area so we can have evidence to present to doctors and healthcare practitioners to say this is a need, an unmet need, a cohort of people who are sort of sort of struggling and invisible in a way. Yeah. Yes. Right. Awareness, action, um, mm. just right. Openness, open mindedness to mm. diversity and lactation. Uh, neurodiversity, <laughs> ethnic diversity, so many things, yeah. Mm. That necessarily affect your breastfeeding experience. I think that because there's so little out there, people can't, I don't, I don't know why, because I see it a lot. Yeah. And I know you see it a lot. And I don't know why people can't sort of comprehend that, hey, maybe one affects the other. You know, we are whole beings. Yeah. It, maybe it will necessarily affect what's happening with my nursling there is literature with pregnancy so right. that's super promising and there's recognition there um, and there's a, so, a several papers right calling out for a call to action that lactation consultants would be really beneficial to support the lactating parents with knowledge yeah. of sensory sensitivity so we're getting there yeah Yes. Um, so Haley asks, I'm, uh, I'm an LC, I, I'm an, a lactation consultant in North Carolina, and this is the first time I've heard of this topic. Thank you for discussing it. Um, can you explain what neurodivergence means? Yeah, you know, I tend to use the term neurodiverse more often than neurodivergent. Um, mm. And I use that to include autism, Asperger's, ADHD, mm-hmm. um, sensory sensitivities. Mm. Um, dyspraxia as well. Dyspraxia. Yeah. So for me, the ter- I don't use the term neurodivergent often, but I do use <laughs> neurodiverse. That would be, that's more, um, how would you describe or define that sign up? I think that it's about a particular recognized clinically recognized cluster of symptoms that people report as well as actually a lot of data to pack it up about how people process things differently particular things cognitively in terms of um, sensations as well and this is in a way well catalogued but like you mentioned it's sort of mainly seen in a pediatric population and it's really been uh, I guess it's exploded in that sense because now there are people aware of it in schools, uh, people are aware of it in uh, behaviours of their own children, and there's in many ways sympathy because it's actually quite it's quite difficult if you don't know about particular symptoms or behaviours to be able to recognise them as being neurodiverse. Yeah, um, and. It's, and once you do, uh, you can you can come into a community which celebrates it, mm-hmm. right? But w- without that, many people find it challenging because it's sort of different. Yeah, it's different to the majority of the population who may not understand. Um, we they wouldn't understand the symptoms because they don't have them themselves, right? So it's quite difficult unless you're reading in the literature yeah. to know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so. 
how you cognitively and sensory process things is going to be different yeah. um, and there's a spectrum mm-hmm. um, yeah so there will be more on it I hope that answered your question Hayley what, what we're trying to say is that it will pers- not persuade it will persist into adulthood because it's recognized as a lifelong condition I you know I have my own preferences about um, calling things a condition or a disability because I just think it, you could not identify as having a disability and you could be proud yeah. of being um, someone with a condition like on the autism spectrum conditions um, but many people do um, find it helpful to call it a disability but we are calling for yeah more research into this yeah and just more you know she's you said she's a lactation consultant so Haley if you're out there you know just mm. asking including that yeah. again in your intake because you won't you might not know and most people aren't mm. going to disclose it hi my name is you know, Jenny and I have Uh ADHD and I have anxiety. Those are things I'll just throw out when I get to an appointment. Exactly. You need to have an opportunity to disclose it. Yeah. And know the person is receptive uh, to that. And also in a way, skills to be able to respond. It's it's a a huge deal. (laughs) Yeah. I, so Shireen is another one. I really struggled with explaining how I feel to my husband. It's not just touched out. I feel overwhelmed as well as anxious, and I even can't think. Uh, I even can't think properly. Is that normal? Yeah. <laughs> right. I. Uh, I think yeah. if you're feeling like that, it's normal for you. But it's hard when your partner doesn't understand it it's really hard yeah and it's hard to articulate what would make this better or different or how they can help because we you know it's sometimes that we don't know we don't know how to say anything other than i'm touched out i've been you know for 24 hours four years straight there's been someone hanging off my body (laughs) and it (laughs) was what seems clear to us you know, being in it, experiencing it in the moment, uh, mm. is it always clear to the partner? So, yeah. Yeah, and even more layered, I suppose, is not being able to explain why or what what you're feeling specifically, right. which can be when you don't have the words, it can be really frustrating because it's either like, oh, you're making it up, or it's not really there, um, and. And both of those aren't true. I mean, she can clearly say that she's, yeah, overwhelmed and she can't think properly, which sounds, uh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's normal. People wouldn't consider it normal, but it's normal for you, and that's enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it is hard. I mean, we know from seeing seeing mothers in practice and research that with autism comes higher anxiety and with that comes difficulty speaking even for someone who is fully verbal that they can Mm. have difficulty expressing feelings emotions and communicating and that's so hard 
um, that's that's called something. Is that called something? Yeah, it's called Se- blanking or selective mutism. Yeah, that's it, selective mutism. Yeah, so there's a it's a phenomenon that's actually well understood in a in a way, right. um, but only you'll only get uh, you need to have someone there who knows. Um, otherwise, you know, you could be per- perceived as like people are women are d- difficult or mm-hmm. or i guess nonverbal is is going to be surprising for some healthcare practitioners but yeah so that's it selective mutism so i don't know if you're experiencing that Shireen but um from what you're saying i wouldn't be surprised yeah. um and to those really quickly to those listening if you're listening right now you know list you know take in these little these little tips these nuggets these experiences and you know when you see someone who maybe has paused and it's a longer pause than you're used to instead of thinking oh they're not listening or you know just maybe they're processing just yeah. give them a moment to process what you're saying or they're having a difficulty getting the words out so now you know and you can share this with your colleagues Yeah. Oh, I had this really great chat with Zainab and Jenny and they said this and now you are helping, you know, increase that awareness. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and you can um another thing you you say you do is you you check in on the comprehension, is that right? right. That's a really really sort of subtle and very easy thing for you to do in clinical practice or whenever you're supporting mums as a healthcare practitioner because we have lots of different healthcare practitioners here when you're supporting someone who's neurodiverse checking yeah. in is you know did you did you get that is there a way that i can explain that to you differently do you want an easier way am i being understood type that that would give you feedback to whether they've processed it or you've given enough time or you've communicated uh, something which can be quite technical sometimes um to them or whether they're in a state to be able to uh receive it because yes. if you're yeah cuz if you can't see the signs of somebody who's not not in a place where they're processing things normally um you can be sort of be spilling off all of this information and it's not it's going not going in, in. <laughs> yeah yeah so allowing the time and space for that as well definitely yeah and i right asking um can you you know tell me what you understood about the for example for like let's say the discharge instructions and mm. listening for their you know what they understood from it um and giving very clear instructions without any idioms things that have to be yeah right? when we a lot of times we do use that in lactation i know i have in my career a lot um that milk is like a refrigerator and we keep filling it up but for someone who has very concrete thinking um that can actually be more complicated and requires yeah. more processing to think about the refrigerator and understand why their body is a refrigerator which doesn't make sense so mm-hmm. using like you just said very specific language about mm-hmm. what needs to be done is that how it's um is that the quite crudely they see in black and white terms if you want to understand it a bit a, yeah. a bit on a simplistic level it's um yeah it's going to be a, 
a bit more clear cut. So with you bringing an added layer of like conceptual or illustrative <laughs> yeah. uh, descriptions, <laughs> making it worse. Yeah. yeah, it can, right. It just requires right more processing and, mm. um, you know, another good tool for those either um, teaching lactation or, you know, needing lactation support is asking if you're the parent asking for pictures. If you are a visual learner and it helps to see the steps in a picture sequence, feeding mm -hmm. the baby versus, you know, a 20 step process written down. Uh, yeah. Right? Because you yeah. have to read it, think about it. But sometimes looking at, you know, uh, pictures, a picture sequence. And for kids, mm -hmm. they use something like that, social stories. So those things we can, mm -hmm. um, just adapting your lactation care to you know support a different learning style yeah because it, it's if if it's about meeting um a breastfeeding goal yeah. or it's about um minimizing uh, the disruption or potential challenges that individuals can can reach which will ultimately affect meeting that breastfeeding goal because yeah. of how frequently you have to breastfeed and the maintaining of your supply and the, these sort of, um, as you say, adaptations—they're going to be—they're going to be crucial for that that individual, but that dyad, mm -hmm. essentially, yeah. um, because if you want that twenty-step process isn't followed, uh, then you're 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 going to compromise, yeah, um, yes. the breastfeeding relationship and therefore the journey, uh, especially if a mum who's who's not going to be not going to be able to be supported. Um, to minimize her triggers and will persistently get, um, yeah, overloaded. Because it's, it, yeah, although it's reversible, it can take a long time, right? And it can be really disruptive um, to the home dynamics and to um, the emotions that are going on at the time. Yeah. Right. And if you're someone who's concrete thinking, black and white, and you, you know, feel compelled that you have to go through steps one through 20 every time you're breastfeeding because, yeah. right, that's the literal instruction. Yeah. yeah. And then and that then chronological and logical yes. order all the way to the end. And yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's even more overwhelming because now you're at step 15 and it's, you know, going out and of order. And did you do place? And you, yeah. And did you miss one out? And right. have you done one of them wrong? And yeah. yeah. And then all the while your nursling is making noises and moving or you might be having issues latching. Yeah. Yes. In addition to all of the sort of normal, so to speak, challenges. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, um, so we have... a, Oh yeah, there's another comment here from Molly. Okay. Um, Sorry, I missed that one. Yeah, shoot. Dig, dig, digging in a little deeper with the mom who's expressing those complex feelings about discomfort is so helpful. Yeah, Molly, you're right. Right. Um, I think that was something I learned was um, when someone came in with oversupply, when I started digging a little deeper, um, you know, what there were some concerns about, again, the breast wet wetness, which wasn't oversupply, it was a sensory. Mm sensory sensitivity mm. to feeling like they were leaking leaking like they felt like they were overflowing when mm. on exam and observation there wasn't this excessive milk supply but there was so, a sensory sensitivity to just any amount of edema and leaking mm. 
So mm. what may have been like, oh, let's try and um, decrease your supply, that would have been harmful to this mom. But you're uh-huh. uh, just to reflect on, on Molly there, yeah, digging deeper, asking more questions about what the trigger is or what's really feels uncomfortable. Yeah. So in a way, you could say there's a sort of duty of care for um, yeah lactation yeah. support providers to in the process of proper assessment and diagnosis. And although lactation consultants don't diagnose, they are within their clinical um, expertise to uh, present differential diagnosis. They can um, make lists of specialist uh, yeah. referrals that need to be made um, in addition to their lactation support specialist areas so yeah you could definitely definitely see the importance of having this um, condition or this diagnosis in the assessment and in the practical steps to help because as you said you could be causing harm if you took steps based on just the symptoms without digging deeper yeah 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 Yeah, it really is I mean it's really interesting and I I think if people are going to be watching this after, um, we'll we'll upload it. It'll be on our Instagram TVs, and so you know we'll be referring back to here. But if you have any concerns, then I think more information is better than less. Mm-hmm. And find someone like, for example, Jenny, who you're, you know, you're open to it. You are um, skilled up mm-hmm. in a, in a way. You know, you have all the latest literature and research under your belt you um, incorporate it practically into your practice and then yeah that will all come from basically really fairly treating all the information the mother's going to be telling you um, and looking with a, a keen trained eye to see what's going on because um, a lot of the times like even in breastfeeding peer support they used to say with our peer supporters you can't peer support yourself yeah. so yeah so even people who they they're veteran breastfeeders or even lactation consultants and then they embark upon another pregnancy journey and they're breastfeeding and they go through go through difficulties uh it's a recognized thing where even though you might know a lot of things you can't sort of support yourself in that instant it's a very special time but also very vulnerable yes yeah right and there's not a lot of support if you don't like social situations and the support groups are all social meetups it's hard to walk in there and talk to everyone Right, right. You yeah. just might not go at all, right? And not get the support mm-hmm. you need. There's some Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. We've got yours, the breastfeeding aversion group. You have the mm-hmm. um, breastfeeding autism moms group. There's the breastfeeding with disabilities Facebook group. Um, mm. There's quite a lot of large um, breastfeeding older nurslings or breastfeeding support groups that yeah. are evidence-based. Mm-hmm. But um, those themselves can be overwhelming. Right, right, right. <laughs> Two hundred and fifty <laughs> replies later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you might find if you're struggling that you you have uh, you deter away from these things. It might be a sign for you, uh, one amongst many signs. Um, sometimes we don't we don't know. There are reasons why we're reversed 
were averse to, to, to things. Yes. Um, but over time, they become clearer. And something like having a condition on the autism spectrum is certainly one of those for many women who find out later on down the line. Um, so things sort of make sense. Uh, I didn't like doing these things. I couldn't do these things. Yes. When actually, it was because of how, yeah, they process things and how they're neurodiverse. Yes. Yeah. I think what 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 I hear too is down the road, women are diagnosed after they have a child mm-hmm. diagnosed, and then they start learning more of those details and those nuanced things mm-hmm. and reflecting on their childhood and adult life and their aversions mm-hmm. and preferences and tolerances for things and then it kind of clicks like that was it this whole time mm-hmm. you know i see that so often i see that so often literally the struggles with the children and understanding what's happening and it ending in a diagnosis and then it's almost like a year down the line the penny drops and it's like it's me as well yeah this is me this makes sense loads of things make sense and then pushing for an assessment diagnosis themselves Um, I I see that so often yeah yeah it's fascinating it's sad because right what would that yeah (laughs) what would it have looked like if earlier on the support right was there Mm. so well yeah um I think oh we have another random one. Okay. No. Is that oh this is an anonymous one. I don't know who she's referring it to, just I love your work. Uh I I'm really struggling so this is an anonymous one. I'm really struggling with all my baby's noises. I want to wear earplugs. Mm-hmm. Um but then I won't be able to hear him at night. I think she's talking about at night mainly and I feel guilty. Is there anything I can do? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Yeah, this is a good question, and uh, you know, my first thought one is just right trying to minimize the other stressors. Of course, at night it's pretty quiet, it's pretty calm, so all you could hear probably is the baby noises. Um, and I'll throw this out there that some devices that are used for deaf parents to be able to still respond to their children through vibration, a trigger through vibration, oh, instead yeah. of a, a trigger through noise. So. Um, you know that might be yeah, yeah. yeah so there's you mean, yeah there's certain baby monitors normal. that mm-hmm. they, they can wear a device that creates a vibration on the parent mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then there are some some apps where you can use through Bluetooth on your phone so again it would trigger you through a vibration but um, I think the first step is figuring out yeah if there's any way to minimize triggers sensory triggers during the day if there's a calm down routine if there's um any way to help there and then exploring options for alternative ways to communicate to to receive that message from the baby like like i said through vibration or Mm. other way i don't know the setup because she didn't put much detail but it is possible um if you are close so if the baby is right up against right um, the bed, whether it's in a shared space or a separate space like a cot, yeah. it, if you only have one earplug in, it's um, or you're on the other side with one earplug in, you can actually 
you, you, you'll hear a muffled noise, which mm. might be enough to not set you off. Right. So like I spoke about before, like the mum that had, had to have these huge sort of earphones on with music and be at a particular table, in a particular chair, in a particular way, in order to get through the session. Um, you know, you could always try, if you're listening, you could always uh, try um, having a combination of those things. So the monitor, which doesn't work on noise per se, um, and then one earplug, and then, or if you have a partner, you know, I, you know people find it difficult with sleep as well. So yeah. um, having a partner or someone else to be there and alert you, knowing that they're only going to alert you when needed, can sometimes um, help. But that's obviously dependent on having that support. Yeah, and like you said, it was. It, yeah, go ahead. It can just remove the. Um, yeah, the need to be in close proximity to be able to hear hear the baby if the baby needs you, um, which can help because then you won't be tr- like triggered. But um, it's a hard one. It is hard if you're bed sharing and you're, uh, you know, yeah. If, and if the baby's in very close contact, right? You you, you may it feel just the physical touch of the baby awakening or you know trying to nurse too so yeah, yeah. that can be true but, but also some babies are just noisy so she might be talking about that oh yes <laughs> yeah some quiet sleepers are just sort of noisy gurgling moving and, and sometimes with neurodiversity the alert of being woken up it can be very difficult to un- to unwind that and go back to sleep quickly so there's also yeah. this you know cumulative impact of constant waking and sleep deprivation that's more intense than just the typical sleep deprivation that um, we experience you know with breastfeeding so um, yeah because ideally you'd want to have that sort of a lot of the studies show you know the being able to get back to sleep better and easier and quicker um, and it seems like especially in this cohort and I know those that struggle with post postpartum mood disorders and postnatal depression yeah. they will have um, some symptoms of finding it difficult um, yes particularly to go back to sleep um, so it may be we could consider them outliers but certainly I see that more often than not yeah. yes agree I agree yeah. uh, yes that's challenging um, <laughs> I think we just have a, a last random is there any research on this <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know where we're going to go there you can answer yeah well there's a ton of research on autism we could google we could look at that all day long um, but what we don't, we're not seeing a lot is research looking at the experiences of parents autistic parents and lactation or neurodiverse parents so even adhd add dyspraxic any you know disability specifically um there's minimal research so that's part of building up this awareness so we can the more people know then the more we can research I think we kind of. I don't know if I'm on. 
Oh, oh. I was just saying. Um, yeah. So I guess the the bottom line is mm, in lactation, not not really. Yeah. But um, there's enough in other areas. So I guess we're going to work on it. And yeah. yeah, we'll tell you all to watch this space. <laughs> and um, as Jenny mentioned, to sort of speak about it in your circles, incorporate it as asking the question in your practice. Um, yeah. Anything that we can do. Yeah, just be open to it. Be open to what does a, you know, ask yourself, what does a neurodiverse friendly lactation practice or um, pediatric practice or OB practice look like for me? Um, mm. does, it, does it look like me asking? Does it look like, you know, putting signage out that says we're a neurodiverse friendly practice and we can mm. adjust lighting if we need or we can find a quiet room for you or, you know, just mm. being open we're to open flexibility. To yeah. 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 Yeah, open to flexibility. That's a really nice way of putting it. And I think anybody who knows about it will be open to being flexible. It's not, you know, it's just about being made aware of it and understanding the steps you can take. And from what you're mentioning in clinical practice, those steps are actually, they're very takeable in a sense. The steps we can all take. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's any other comments because you seem to be better at seeing them than I am. <laughs> um, Let's see. Um, all right, so we got, uh, nope, I guess that's it. Anybody else have any comments out there? Drop a line here in the comments so we can, or questions, just you want to share a story? We want to hear it. We want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, we will, we will be sharing. I mean, I would be happy to share someone's specific stories on this just to so people can find the words themselves so people can understand that maybe their struggles aren't just theirs uh, in the sense that they're shared with other people yeah. um, who are neurodiverse because um, it can it can be really isolating otherwise and frustrating as well um, right right you're going to go to a lactation book maybe for right to look up something and there is no chapter on how do I handle my ADHD? Mm. I have a strong need for movement and I can't sit on the couch every 10 minutes for half an hour mm. because exactly. it feels like someone's tying me down, right? So that exactly. can feel very uncomfortable. Um, yeah, it's very inhibiting in a sense and something that some people won't mind at all because it's not one of the symptoms, right? So right. you can't explain it to maybe a friend who's um breastfeeding and doesn't really understand why you find it difficult can be yeah. hard unless you find the words and once you found the words it's very liberating and actually very empowering and actually being able to communicate that means that's the precursor to taking steps to changing it um, yes. or managing managing it managing yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um, you you said it really well once that breastfeeding as a non-kinetic activity. I mean, when yeah, it's not. Oh, right. When we when we look at that, we think you know, like you really are tied down. And and as you mm -hmm. said, a lot a lot of people say, oh, that's great, enjoy it while you can. But if that feels like torture, it's so hard to then right articulate that. Yeah. No, it's not. Um... 
it, it is restrictive um, in a sense and uh, and for neurodiverse people or for when you think about neurodivergence in a sense uh, you it's not like other people where you can sort of talk it talk it out of you it's not a mindset right. you know oh just, just watch Netflix and enjoy these sedentary hours that you essentially are sitting and breastfeeding it's not the same thing it's not a mindset that you can tap into to be able to cope with the cluster feeding and this that yeah. we're looking at a different set of needs yeah yeah that's right so you know for a lactation consultant right what does that look like how do you support someone who's when they say my biggest issue is just the baby wants to feed all the time and i can't sit down all the time when i when i hear that then right then i start asking some questions like uh you know how can we get you moving what are you sitting on and it doesn't mm. mean, right, stop breastfeeding. Oh, autism is hard enough, you shouldn't yeah. breastfeed, right? It means this looks different mm. for you. How are we going to make this work? Oh, okay. Mm. Let's figure it out. Actually, the literature shows that um, they're more likely, you're more likely to want to breastfeed and continue to breastfeed. Yes. So it's not that um, people who are on the spectrum are going to want to stop. Right. Um, even if it if it might outwardly look as more more difficult mm -hmm. um so that's like really Im important for people to know um, absolutely absolutely yes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes um i don't know what time is it i've got no idea on my phone <laughs> 7 20. <laughs> well i can see you're pretty pace um <laughs> yeah 7 20. i just see yeah a bunch of people joining all right, we're still waiting on those comments. Who's out there? Throw a question out there, guys. Anybody out there? Yeah, no. I don't, it might be. The timing. In the UK, it's dinner time. <laughs> yep. Bedtime over here. Yeah, I'm over in Italy. You're in the UK. Um, yeah, we're so international. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, well, we, we can definitely reply to comments. Um, and we will still be available. We'll be happy to reply to uh, comments or queries and also to share share stories. Yes. So, and it won't be the last. I mean, I'm sure I'll have more queries and I, I'd love to talk to you again. Jenny. Yes, I'd love to talk to you. Take some more questions. Yeah. Um, okay, so All right. we will sign off and I hope you found it useful and the comments and the video will be up in our Instagram TVs. It should be both on yours and mine. Okay. Hopefully. Yep. And yeah. we'll answer comments, I guess, as they come in or like you said, we can. Yeah, we can help as much as we can with what we know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> oh, no, no, thanks. Uh, it's been so nice chatting yes. and um, yeah, watch this right. space. Alright, bye! Bye 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 everyone! I don't know how to turn off, but I'm gonna <laughs> Bye <try>. guys! <laughs>